And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. welcome well, to We Are Just Christians. Really glad you tuned in today to the program. We appreciate it. As you just heard, my name is Mike Schmidt, and with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? Doing fine this morning, Mike. We're ready to show each Lord's Day to introduce this community and whoever else might be listening to the idea of being just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination, which involves just going back to a simple reading and application of the New Testament. And of course, then because of that, the rest of the, the rest of the Bible as it connects to the New Testament. And that you could think that would be the way most churches operate, but unfortunately it's not. They operate on the basis of traditions and and other things. They don't do a simple reading of it. Everybody's got their own little idea that that they push one particular doctrine over another. But this show is about just trying to apply and learn how to read the Bible for itself and then work together with other Christians who have the same attitude to do God's will in this century. We're trying to recreate the first century church in this century, in the 20th. Is it the 21st century? Yes, it's the 21st 21st century. century. (laughs) Which gives me an opening. I was born in the 20th century, so yeah. It's given me an opening. John 12, 48, Mike, is is what I think we're all about. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's what we're about. We're about the word of God. Right. You'll hear people talk about, oh, you're just... Uh, Bible idolaters or your bibliolaters, you know, worshiping the Bible. Well, <laughs> that's not true. It, I, I, we respect and honor the word of God because it comes from God, not because it's a book and because it comes from God and it's how God speaks to us. We hear the words of the spirit. So we believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word that's written. It's that that's the same for all ages. Everybody of every generation can read the same word. And then God is looking at us in our hearts to see how how faithfully are they going to do what I say? How are they going to look at? Are they going to interpret it in a way that pleases them? Are they going to change it as time goes by? Are they going to respect what I have said? I will probably get away from this, but I've I've been in the last couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a little more than that, I've been compiling everyone I... I run across, Gary, as I read all of these, um, all these different um, comments people make here and there, just offhanded remarks sometimes, not whole articles or sermons or something on, a to- on the topic of the Holy Spirit or how he works with us and all that. I run across these little um, tidbits. And um, so I've been, the last week or two, I've been trying to kind of um, save a few of them let me see if i can find the one i i saved the other day there is this. Well, there's one i heard this morning on tv basically the person on tv was opening up the lesson with i was driving in this morning and the holy spirit talked to me and told me this is where i should look well and, and, and that and that's that's the case that person needs to write that down right pass along to every other christian that's what Paul did with what the Spirit told him about things, and and if whatever he whoever he tells whatever he tells somebody, 
that person, the other person who hears it, needs to pay attention because the Holy Spirit said it. Don't very very close attention. People exactly. People throw that around, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to kind of blackmail you and and say you got to do you got to listen to what I say because you know this from the Holy Spirit. They want to do something, and so when they tell them that they want to marry somebody, and so they tell their parents or somebody else, well, the God God told me this or the Spirit told me this. Well, that that just means nobody can argue with me about it because after after all, God told me. Well, then, of course, they find themselves in my office here some years later saying, how can I get rid of this person because they're horrible? You know, the same one that God told them to marry. And they insisted on marrying because the Holy Spirit told them to do it. They want to now get rid of them. And I guess they're looking for a word from God, or as they would call me, God's man, to do that, to reverse it. You know, that story of Balaam, I need to look it up here uh, in the Old Testament. When they kept they kept offering him money, this false prophet, he said, well, let me I'm going to paraphrase. Let me see what more the Lord has to say. About <laughs> this. Let me see what more the Lord will say. Well, I, I have he, to. He wasn't content with what God had said. He was looking. Maybe we can. Maybe God can, you know, add a little more and change his mind a little bit about this. And finally, we find out in the New Testament, he did change a little bit more about what he said. Yeah, but he told him he was he told him that. He, that he told him. He, yeah. Now, here's the quote I was getting at. The Catholic Church now is having this big synod on synodality. Uh, and I don't want to go into all the details about that, but it's caused quite a bit of stir because it's brought it's it's kind of a lay person's conference. And it's a very, very official and important conference where the bishops and cardinals are gathering together to discuss these issues with different lay people and all this kind of stuff. And so some of these cardinals have submitted some questions to the Pope. Got them here somewhere about women or women's ordination and about homosexuality and homosexual marriages, because they believe that this current Pope and I believe they are. They believe this with good reason is wanting to change the traditional Catholic teaching on homosexuality and women being ordained as priests or deacons. They believe he's trying to change that slowly over time. And he believes he don't well, say the church has to change. Of course, well, the, I wouldn't doubt that that's what he's trying to he's do. A, he's a leftist. He's a he's a South American leftist communist, you know, a Marxist type person. So they want to change it. But anyway, here's the thing I was getting at. So I'm reading along an article about this. And it says, uh, it's according to a Catholic source now, George Weigel, at the Synod, quote, anything may be said and must be noted as having been said, because it is presumed, at least in principle, that anything that may be said may be spirit inspired, says George Weigel. This includes suggestions by some participants that women ought to be ordained to be to the diaconate or to be deacons. But how do such suggestions measure up to the church's teachings? He goes on. So at this conference, now the Catholic Church pretends that they only go, you know, they're very strict and they never change and all this stuff. But the truth is they're they're basically a church that depends upon whatever revelation the Holy Spirit gives to the Pope or, or any of these other things at any given time. And that's what this is about. So here we're having a conference to discuss these issues. And we have to make sure we write everything down because anything that is said could be spirit inspired. All right. That's that's uh, unbelievably 
I, I don't even know how to describe that. Is that scriptural? No, it's not scriptural. The Spirit has already spoken on these issues. Has so, spoken in the word that Jesus right. has recorded for now, us. Now, my comment would be, say, well, say, well, the Holy Spirit may speak again. Okay, here are these various teachings. Some people, this synod, are going to say women can be priests. Some are going to say, no, they can't be priests. So maybe one of those pronouncements is Spirit-inspired. How would I know? How are they? How are they going to decide, Gary? Well, <laughs> the most obvious way is which one of those statements agrees with what the Spirit's already said. Since the Spirit can't contradict Himself, God isn't speaking. God's not the author of confusion, Paul says in First Corinthians 14, but the author of peace or unity. So whatever is said at this conference that may be coming from the Spirit would automatically agree with what the Holy Spirit told Paul, right? Right. Well, that's okay. what Paul said. Test the spirits. What are you going to now, test? Now, the only other way that you could say from a scriptural standpoint that you could alter this would be if one of these uh, pope or bishops or somebody was able to perform open, outstanding, incontrovertible miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm that what he was saying was what the Spirit said. Now, that's what Paul did. That's what Peter did, okay? They did incontrovertible, unquestioned miracles, the signs of an apostle in the front of the face of the people that they were asking to believe what they were saying. And so that's, and that's how they determined whether something was from the Spirit. So those are the only options I can think of. But what they want to do here, what they're trying to get at is probably they're going to listen to all these various ideas. And then they're going to pray and see how they feel about it. They're not going to read not read the Bible. They're going to pray and see, now, how do I really feel about this conclusion I've come to what the other person says? And whatever they feel like, whatever the, they get the feeling about, a strong urge or a, a conviction. What do they call it? There's a name for it, Gary. They have a uh, well, I, I was, reading or something like that. I well, was, then they say, well, the Holy Spirit told me that. Well, I was just thinking they're not doing anything different from what everybody else does. Well, this is this is a common way of, to determine, really, especially common modern way to determine religious truth based on how people are feeling about it at the moment, what urges they get, what feelings or leadings they have. And, and this is a poor way to determine what the truth of these matters are because they've been revealed in the New Testament. Now, the problem, uns unstated problem that most people have with this, maybe the, maybe even most people that listen to this radio show here, the unstated problem they have with this is that means things can't change very much. And no, we don't get to get our way about these matters just because we're living in the 21st century rather than the first or second century. We have to do what the scriptures say. And that's the under that's the reason why people. Um, don't don't uh, don't want to accept that idea. They want this. They want the Bible, and then they want this Holy Spirit thing to give them the leeway to do what they want to, because the Holy Spirit told me something else. Or they're afraid to face life and make hard decisions, and sometimes make wrong decisions, and so they got to have this idea that the Holy Spirit is telling them what. To to do every day and the truth is if you track their life you see they make at least as many mistakes as the people who don't do it that way okay um, the most it's, successful people in the country are probably not getting up every morning and asking the holy spirit to make decisions for them all day long in their business but we don't look at that no and and we don't 
don't consider those things. And the truth it, is, the Holy Spirit did tell men how to run a business through that, through the Proverbs, what wisdom is, and honesty and integrity. He did tell them how to do those things. Well, Jesus said during the ministry, he's, he's telling us things. He told the apostles things that the Father told him. Uh, he said he was going to send the the helper, the Holy Spirit, that would again directly to the to the apostles again, was going to tell them things that he hadn't told them and remind them of the things that he had. And yet, how would anybody know what they were saying was true? And you go back again to the obvious miracles that they did. And, and even even later on, Paul's saying these things are going to go away at some point in time. And, and we've discussed that, I think, on the show. We could discuss that again. Those those things are not basically part of the revelation today because it's all been written down. The complete revelation has been written down. What What is it that was said? It's been once for all time delivered. I forget what that reference is. What's that? Talk, talking about the gospel. You saw, it's been once for all delivered to saints. Yes. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Three, I think. And earnestly for the faith, which has been once for all delivered. Saints. You can double check me on that. And 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 basically, uh, that's what what Jesus is saying. Then in in John twelve forty eight, he says, "It's my word. It's been written." And by the time the New Testament was completed, it was written down. It's for us to read. We can consult what the Holy Spirit said, what Jesus said. Titus 1 again, um, I think it's verse 8. Well, it was verse 3. Let me see. Um, um, it's coming up here. Uh, it's not verse 3. But, well, why am I having trouble with that then? Well, why don't I just look it up the way I really should put it? And I'll do it this way. Oh, my memory must have failed me here. Um, Titus 3, 3, it says here. 3, maybe it's Titus 3. But yeah, that's 3. One, three. For we ourselves were all. No, that's not it. No. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Jude 1, 3. Okay. Jude, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had I, uh, something. In, and when I said it, it sounds like a off mic. Huh. Let me see. Well, I'm I'm getting you. I'm getting you through my my head. My head. See if that's better. Jude three, beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And he's cautioning them about certain men coming in. Right. That so that he said. Uh, that that word once is a unique Greek word. It's, only, it's used a few times in the Bible, and it's used in common Greek too. But it, it means once for all time. And some versions say that the once once for all. Well, the New King James says once for all. For all, meaning it meaning that it's only done one time. Some events only you're only born one time physically. Okay. So you can't keep being born physically over and over again. You're born one time. So that's a once for all event. And that may not be the best illustration, but that's that's um, how it's used. That's what that's what this bird says, that the word, the faith, the faith here is the thing 
that is to be believed was delivered once to the saints and you we are our job is not to alter it not to ask for what more the lord's going to say our job is to contend earnestly for it fight for it defend yes. it strong's lists the definition of that word as a single time yeah, a singular event that's right a singular so time the re- singular revelation event. of god's word delivered the delivery of god's word was a one-time event now that took place over several years but it's a it's not an ongoing thing that's still continuing into the 21st century and that's what the problem is with this idea that we can uh go to a synod council and have the holy spirit tell us something different than what was said in the first century because if the faith is the thing to be believed the, the true belief has already been delivered one time and that was in the new testament and so that's the fu- that's a fundamental principle that um most churches were good with that until recent times. I would say most denominations, I should say, about that. But um, anyway. Um, well, it seems to me, Mike, that, that at one time when I was a child, it seemed like that churches seemed to place more store in the word. In other words, whether their whether their doctrines were correct or not, they would at least make some semblance of going back to the scripture for comparison to say what what they believed. I don't think they do that anymore. Well, there's been a change, a philosophical change that started, of course, in the higher religious and intellectual circles in the 18 and 1900s. You know, we call it postmodernism. We can discuss what what modernism is and what postmodern, but basically the idea that there is no set truth. Truth is is either in well that there is no certainty in truth first starts off with certainty we can't really know anything and therefore what we do know we only learn and therefore we really can't know any truth there's no absolute truth at all in any sphere and therefore the conclusion came to be over the 20th century that all truth is subjective and so it's basically what you think the truth is and with that mindset, Gary, here's the Bible written down as as if it were an absolute standard. And so people, when they read that, then they come away with what they would call principles. But they would they want to add what they want. They want to have their own interpretation of it. And that's why a lot of people will say, well, that's just your interpretation. I've told you about. Uh, I was taking a class at Barry University some years ago, back in the 80s finishing up my degree and what uh which is a catholic school essentially barry is and the professor in a modern theologians class i had a class on modern theologians she was a catholic ex-catholic nun an older lady who was ex-nun very very liberal in every way and she was talking in the, and it was a they were more adult students and people that were working for the airlines trying to finish a degree you know and things like this immigrants cuban immigrants people like that trying to get their credentials up to par and they didn't know anything about religion or theologians or the bible but this was a humanities class they wanted to take anyway she was saying one day and we had many clashes one day she was telling us how that uh, you can be a good Christian and still be a Muslim or a Buddhist, and there are good Buddhists and, Mus- and Muslims who are good Christians, you know, and on and on, stuff like this. And I just, I, this is all I said. I didn't, I raised my hand. She, we were in a kind of a circle and behind me. I, I looked at, I looked at her and I said, 
except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I just stopped. That's all I said. Except you believe that I am he, that is, you will die in your sins. And she looked at me and she said, well, you can interpret it that way if you want to. That was her comment. And I said, ma'am, I'm not interpreting anything. I'm quoting the words of Jesus. And I said, and these people back here said, I happen to be a person who's had training in theology. You have too. But most of these people in this room don't know anything about the New Testament. And I don't like it when you sit here and tell them as if you know that it's okay with Jesus that they become a Muslim or a Buddhist. Jesus says, if you do not believe that he's the Messiah, you'll die in your sin. So don't sit there and say that you can be a good Christian and be a Muslim or a Buddhist. That if you don't believe, if you believe that, I, I told her, I said, and she objected. I said, look, you can believe that if you want to. I said, well, I have a right to believe. I said, you have a right to believe it. You can believe that you can be a good one, but don't tell them that Jesus says that. Because he didn't. If you don't, if you don't, I said, if you don't agree with Jesus, just tell this class Jesus said this, but I disagree with that. Now, that's honest and fair, and you won't hear me objecting to that. I'll sit here quietly. You can say that. I won't object to it. Well, now, and all the class is going, yeah, that makes sense. I hear people murmuring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and she got upset about that. Now, why wouldn't she just tell the class, Jesus says this, but I disagree with it? Why won't she say that? Because she would lose them. They, they wouldn't respect that, you see. But that's what she's trying. She, so she tries to tell them that in a backhanded way. Now, I forgot where I was going with that, except to say that people people don't like the truth of the New Testament, and so they will then uh, decide that they can add a little bit to it, alter it some way. There's no such, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Now, that's what she was really objecting to. Her real problem as a, as a modern liberal is that she doesn't believe in absolutes Absolute like except you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. That's an absolute propositional statement, and she doesn't believe in anything like that, and she wants to convey that we all have this little wishy-washy freedom to believe whatever we want. And if you agree with Jesus, say so. If you don't agree with him, then have the courage to say so, okay? Don't tell me the New Testament says something it doesn't say. Read the text plainly and Honestly, interpret it as best you can. There'll be difficulties in that, but do that. Don't approach it from the standpoint of, well, what do I want it to say? What do I wish it said? And then go on. That's no way to, to respect God or the Bible. Well, Jesus said, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. It's the standard that's going to be used. And that was part of the standard. And, well, I, and it's I, just so telling that when I said that, she says, well, that's your interpretation. Well, and I was, I said, I said, ma'am, I didn't interpret anything you did. I said, all I said, I quoted what Jesus with his own mouth is recorded to have said. And I said, so how are you saying I'm interpreting that? Uh, so anyway, we had now then we're getting into a whole issue, modern, modern versus postmodern interpretation, your hermeneutics, understanding, getting the whole philosophical discussion. That's where we well, that's we, where we, we, we talked about right that. Here, we, we were talking about basically everybody going according to their own thoughts and so and mike i just i just happened to think of this passage because i'd been studying it on wednesday night in isaiah 65 and verses one and two isaiah said look isaiah speaking the lord's words to the people he says i was sought by those who did not ask for me 
I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Right. Just there it is. A way that is not good according to their own thoughts. We need to be walking according to God's thoughts and where we find it. And I don't know any other way to say it. It's, it's, and it, we see examples of this kind of thinking. Like I mentioned that story of Balak and Balaam in the book of Numbers. Let me just read a little bit of that to you because I think it would be interesting. Um, it, it's a kind of an obscure story, but you can look it up in Numbers 22. Balak was a leader of the Moabites, and he he found uh, Balaam, who was a prophet of the Lord, and he wanted the prophet of the Lord, he wanted to pay him to talk to the Lord and get him to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam is not a Jew. He is not part of the children of Israel. Right, but he is communicating with God, God. right? Right. So he is trying to get him to curse Israel so that he so that Balak can defeat them in in war. And uh, so the elders of Moab, verse seven of Numbers 22, uh, and the elders of Midian departed with the diviners fee in their hand. They came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord or as Jehovah speaks to me. So they stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And he, he said to them, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent me to sent to me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I should be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse this, the people for they are blessed. God says, I'm not going to let you curse the children of Israel. Don't even try it. Okay. And get away from these men. He says, I'm going to leave them. So Balaam, rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go. So he tells them what the Lord says. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said to him, Balaam refuses to come with us. And then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. They came to Balaam and they said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me for I will certainly honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. And then Balaam said in answer to the servants that, see, they always up the ante. You get more honorable. You get more important. They, they tried to puff him up. And this is what happens. All the voices to these mega church preachers, other people, and even these people in the synods, all the voices tell them, if you do this, you'll have more honor or you'll be more important, blah, blah, blah. And so. He said to them, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord. So he said, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Okay. So he tells them the one thing, which is I can't do more or less. But he says, just stay here and let me go see if God will tell me something different. <laughs> okay. And God and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come come to you, call you, rise and go with them. But only the word of which I speak to you, that you shall do. And so he went on. You, you can read the whole thing and about that donkey speaking. But the point is, 
He wanted to do what God had said don't do because it would bring him honor and he would like it. It would bring some benefit to him. Money. Money or prestige and power. And so he was willing to keep asking instead of saying, that's it, end the conversation, I'm done. He just kept, finally says, let me see if God will tell me something more. Now, Gary, this is what is going on in modern theology, in modern people's lives. That's why... That God says uh, that you know uh, it's an abomination for a man to sleep with a man. It's 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 a, a abomination for a woman to t- turn away from, from uh, heterosexual sexuality. But we want to know what more it says about that. God says that we're to appoint men as elders and men as deacons, and that's not good enough, right? He tells the women to be silent in the churches. But we want to know what more the Lord will say about it. My dad had a story about, you're talking about Balaam, and this reminded me of a story of my dad. He knew a guy that worked in the construction business with him who was really money-oriented. And I'm going to call this guy John, but for whatever. But he says John would not go to hell for a quarter, but he would mess around the edge trying to rake it out until he fell in. Yeah. That's exactly the way it is. Well, well, you can read the rest of the story. It's funny because uh, uh, the the donkey uh, tries to stop him. God, God, the angel of the Lord, who is probably Christ, tries to stop Balaam from going. And and then this donkey speaks and tells him the word of God. It's a it's a almost humorous story there in Exodus and Numbers 22. But that's how far people will go. Yeah, we get so close to sin that get our eyebrows singed, don't we? And I remember as a young man, as a young preacher, and you still get this today. Well, today people just openly sin more in churches. Now, back when I was a younger man, people in churches were more careful about it, and they wanted more justification to do what they were going to do. Today, they if they want to drink, they just drink. Okay, they don't try to bother yeah. justifying it. They if they want to wear uh, immodest clothing they just do that they, they don't ask if uh they want to text with female friends or male friends that aren't their mate and have a relationship with them they just do it they don't try to justify it gambling all those things but back then people would try to figure out just how close they could get to what was wrong before it became exactly wrong just what words were curse words was it wrong to say heck Or did you have to say hell? You know, could you say darn and not damn? And I'm using the mild examples. And rather than understanding that God wants pure speech to come out of our mouth, wholesome speech that edifies, and we're to control our anger and our tongue, and that so that it doesn't bring forth cursing instead of blessing. We want to play around the edges and see exactly what words we can say and when. Hit our, hit our finger with a hammer, and we want to know what I'm allowed to say. How about just controlling yourself and not saying anything? Uh, that's an option. Of course, that's not an option. But that's the difference between back then and today. And all right, we have a phone call. You had one, one more well, one, one more note. Then we're going to go to the phone. I, I, I was just going to say, Mike, what this is really reflecting is a lack of of a willingness to do what is right according to God or a lack of humility. And basically,
basically Isaiah again says this. Uh, he's talking for the Lord, but Isaiah speaks. He says, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Right. That's 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 the absence before God. Right. That's what it takes. So and it, if we don't have that, we're not going to. When you start being worried about impressing the people around you one way or the other, you've already lost about half the battle of being a Christian. All yes. right. Uh, and that's what was going on with with Balaam. Uh, Ken's on the phone. Yeah. OK. What's on your mind, Ken? Unless you. Hey, I, I'm, I'm a Taking aback that you're talking about Balaam, because I've been thinking about him too lately. Uh, so, in that story, uh, you know, God tells him, you know, don't go, and then he lets him go, and then he seems like he's mad that he went. Well, that yeah, you read it and you notice that that he tells him, go well, go ahead and go, but he's not happy with it, right? God isn't happy with it. Why do you think that is, Ken? Is that what the point you want to make? That's what I want to talk about. Okay. Because uh, in the Hebrew, the word, the two different words, they are slightly different for to go. Okay. And when he says, when he lets him go, he went with his own mind, not with the mind of God. So his idea was to go and make money. Go and make money, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why God was angry, and that's why He sent the angel. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know there were two different words. I'm going to have to look those up. Uh, it, tells it, him when it, he says, very, "Don't go." Very, very slight difference in the in the uh, in the words. Well, you know, the thing about it is true, and you, I noticed this as I was even reading this story this morning, exactly the point that you're talking about. First, he says, go and don't go. I, I think the principle that you can see, and I need to think of some specific scriptural examples at the moment, in which I can't at the, off the top of my head. Sometimes God just, uh, he doesn't stop us from doing what we want to do. Well, if you want to go, go. And we, I've done that as a parent a time or two. When I realized that I give the tell my child what I wanted them to do and they were just insistent on when they got a little older doing something, then they need to go do that. And and they're going to go do it. And you say, well, go ahead if you want to. And I know when I say it that they're going to pay a price for that, most likely. But it needs to be done so that they can learn something or I can't stop them anyway. They're going to go anyway. And uh, that's. I was thinking of a story with my one son. Go ahead. Huh? Uh, um, well, while, while you're thinking about this for just a second, verse 20, Mike, I think may answer part of that in the New King James. He says, and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call on you, rise and go with them. Right. But only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. I don't think they came to him. 
Yeah, they didn't come, did they? He went anyway. He went anyway. He, the reason that God was angry with him was because he didn't meet God's requirements for going. Is that what you're getting at, Ken? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. He didn't wait and, and, and for what God to say was to happen, that they were supposed to come to him. He went to them because he went to them. Oh, that's why the other part of it is that he told him, if you do go now, since you're going to go only. I'm sorry, Ken, I was stepping on you there. What was that? He was seeking his purpose, not God's purpose. He's anxious to go to get money. And God made the point to him only if you do go only speak what I say to you. Now, did Balaam do that? And the answer is not really. No. He kept wanting more, and so God said, well, if you're going to go, at least you're going to talk, only say what I want you to say. And so kid wants to go, go to some dance that you know there's going to be immorality at. It could be trouble for her as a young teenage girl, and pressure, 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 and crying, and all the Finally, you say, okay, well, you can go, but you're going to do this, only do this. Now, do they? Well, now sometimes they do. A lot of times they end up doing whatever they want when they go there. It's a, it becomes a test. But I think that's a good point that he said, if they come to you, you go. If they if they come to call you, rise right. and you go, go with and them. He went ahead and did what he wanted to do. Yeah. To get so he, he did. He did not meet uh, God's conditions. Now, I think that's a good lesson for us today in the plan of salvation. If you don't meet God's conditions, where does that leave you? Yeah, you're, you're going to be lost. Well, I just think this story goes with this idea of people keep going back to the Lord to get him to say more. So he'll finally say what they want him to say in their mind. And you can you can call enough synods and you can have enough uh, preach enough sermons on something. You can finally revisit your position you know alter your viewpoint on this these things not saying we shouldn't learn and keep growing but it is saying that sometimes the motivation behind uh well i used to say in circles i would run with i'm restudying that issue i'm restudying that issue and what that meant to me was watching it over time they're going to change their position on that subject because they're restudying it uh, even though they studied it 10 times. Well, part of it goes back, I think, again, I'll go back to humility, but Paul says, and, and obviously Balaam wasn't in this condition either. Paul says in Philippians 4, I think, in beginning verse 10, it says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I think that's part of the key. It's just Paul says, I have learned. In whatever state I am to be content, we are not often content with what God gives us. Okay, I want to bring something else up here, too. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? A man of constant sorrows. And bona fide. So you know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's my favorite movie. Yes. Uh, go ahead. Your favorite movie, right. I'm ashamed to say that, but it is. 
It's so full of interesting oh, things. I have too, and I have on my license plate on the front, bona fide. Oh, you're bona fide, huh? Yeah, I'm bona fide. You are. Okay. Yeah, you know. Who, 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 is, who you gave know, you the credentials I, to be bona fide, huh? You know what God is in Greek, right? Well, as far as I know, it means, you know, of good, of good faith, right? Right. Good faith. Person of good right. faith. It's come to mean, and it was come to mean in that vernacular used in that movie, he's been put to the test and found to be true. It's kind of the idea. Uh, so of good faith. Yeah, that's an interesting okay, so, thing. Uh, I, I, I think the very title of the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is an excellent question for everybody in the world today. Where are you yes. in relationship to Jesus? It's... Uh, it's based on Homer's Odyssey. It's a modern adaptation of the Odyssey, believe it or not, as strange as it may seem, but uh, about a quest. People are taking a quest, and and in the end, they discover themselves. And the question is, how? Where are you? How do you get there? You know, the question is, fate. Did fate lead this? Lead Odysseus? Did fate lead the characters in O Brother? Or did they make choices along the way? But it's just filled with all this kind of stuff. Where art thou? That's the question. Yeah. Now, is that not the phrase in Latin, quo vadis? Hmm? Go ahead, Ken. Go ahead, Ken. There's a lot of references to baptism in this movie, if you think about it. Oh, the, the, whole, the whole scene of uh, Delmar being baptized, Delmar and uh, the other fellow being baptized in the river i've got a i mean i cut that out of the video shown in the time or two because it's so um it's so true about baptism washing away people's sins and uh it, it there's a lot of reference and you know the thing about that i think i mentioned somebody the other day uh, the the phrase quo vat by the way the phrase quo vatus is a latin phrase where are you going very similar to where art thou, but it's where are you going? And it's probably it's a related a related philosophical statement. There was a movie in 1951 that came out called Quo Vadis. You have to look it up to be old movie people. But in that movie, you see these three criminals. Two of them are baptized after they've committed a crime. Two of them are baptized. They've escaped from from the uh, chain gang. Two of them are baptized in the river, and there's a whole big scene about having their sins washed away. But the, the state of Mississippi is not quite so forgiving. <laughs> and then you got the other one, George Clooney's character, who doesn't isn't baptized, thinks they're stupid, calls them dumber than a bag of hammers because they believe in baptism. And as the movie progresses from that point, Ken, I'm sure you're well aware, those other two characters stop lying change the way they act, become much better men. And George Clooney doesn't. He maintains the same deceptive way of doing things. And then the final scene where they're where they're going to hang them all, they're all <laughs> they're all begging for their lives more than praying. And even even George Clooney is forced on his knees to pray. To God, even though he said, I know I've never done anything right in my life, but I'm asking you to spare us, especially spare these two who are decent fellows and all that. And I'll serve you the rest of my life. And I was, well, they get spared from the hanging. 
And within a couple of minutes later, he's he's even denying that any of it happened. He said, well, you know, uh, I was in a state of uh, anybody will stay whatever they want in a state of under pressure, you know. He said, guy said, well, that wasn't the tune you were singing back there at the gallows. He said, well, you know, now that the pressure's off, George Clooney goes right back to the way he was. But the baptism had a big effect on the other two characters in the movie. I don't know how those Jewish boys, the Cohen brothers, come up with this, but they were pretty right on a lot of things <laughs> in that movie. But is that right? Do you think that's right, Ken? Do you see that in there? Yeah, I do. And, and actually, you know, when that flood came, they all got baptized. In what? When the flood came. Oh, right. They all were baptized in that way. I'm not, maybe it was. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. And, and they the, all were washed away. That's how they avoided hanging. They all got washed away in a flood. Now, the question is, did George Clooney's character change? I don't yeah, think his wife thought so. Huh? But uh, there's a whole scene. I wish I could find that. I've got it here. I could play it for everybody if I really had thought ahead of time about all of his sins have been washed away and all the things he was done. And even um, he, he's coming up out of the water saying all these sins, he, bank, this bank. And George Clooney reminds him that he's still in the water talking to him. He says, well, uh, he, he says, he, even that bank I knocked over in Yazoo, he's bank robbers, you know. Clooney says, well, I thought you said you was innocent of them charges. He hesitates for, for a second. He says, well, I lied about that, and that's forgiven, too. <laughs> so he admits he lied about being innocent, but he knows that the Baptists have even washed that away because <laughs> he was <laughs> confessing it. So, oh, it was, so they think, but these two, these two criminals think that because they were baptized, that, that they're free from the law, the law of the land. Mississippi's not going to go after them anymore. They're free. They, go, they don't have to go back to prison. You know, their, their sins have all been washed away, and so they're all good to go. And George Clooney reminds them, well, God may be forgiving, but the state of Mississippi is a little bit more hard-nosed <laughs> than that. But they, they, they didn't go back to prison. They did, and they did not go back to prison. That's exactly right. God God did spare them. Uh, There's redemption so, in this story. It's a great, I, I love it. It's, it's kind of good. You know what? I went to – you'll love this, Ken. I was out that way. It's a few years ago, and, and we drove through that area where some of these places were in Mississippi and some other places. And I went to Tishomingo, Mississippi, went through the town. As you come into the town of Tishomingo, there's a graveyard. And on the biggest tombstone right there in the front, it says, oh, no, I can't think of the name, but one, one of the main, uh, the main character there, his last name uh, is the big name on the tombstone. I can't think. I know why I just lost it. But anyway, I, you, you can't help but think that the guys who made the movie drove through there and saw that saw that name off the tombstone and based a character's name off that right there in that little town of Tishomingo, uh, Mississippi. It is a pretty small place, but um, no, it's it's a it's an interesting movie. And this Quo Vadis, Where Are You Going, is a similar type of a story. Whither goest thou, or where are you going? And the it's a, it is also a movie about the fates. How much of our life is controlled by fate, 
or and how much of it is our own choices. And if you read the Odyssey, the Iliad and the Odyssey, you see that's the big question. All these big stories you read in there, all these monsters and all this stuff, it's all about how much did the choices that Odysseus make change him or was he being pushed along by the fates? That's really the, that's really the basis of the story about Oedipus Rex and all that about sleeping with his mother and all the killing his father and all this. How much of that was des- predestined and how much of that was his own choosing? And you see an interweaving of these things because ancient people had the same struggles that we do. You know, Ken, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, a lady, a friend of mine yesterday. We were at I was at a poultry show and she wanted to talk to me about spiritual things. So I spent a lot of time talking with her. Best thing I did all weekend. But anyway, she. She's facing some real serious problems. Now, this woman is from the Northeast, real nice lady. She's not religious at all. I've never seen a religious streak in her in any way, shape, or form in the years I've known her, even though she's a nice person and I think an honest person and all that. And her and her, her, her granddaughter, her new granddaughter, has a genetic deficiency that may create a huge handicap for this girl and the girl's parents, her daughter and son-in-law, for the rest of their lives. It's not something that's going to go away. Something, not something they can fix. And what the real the real gist of the whole conversation was, I gave I gave up the my Catholic religion when I was young because it didn't make any sense to me, and I resented what I thought wasn't true. And she says, more or less, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what my daughter should do now. She doesn't know what to do because I did I didn't teach my daughter anything religious. I said, well, Jackie, you are dealing with a religious problem. You you've all you can't escape religious problems, theological problems of fate and destiny. Why does God do this? Why does God allow this? Why did this happen? All these things she's struggling with. I said they've always been there. You can you can reject the church if you want to. You can reject what they would call organized religion if you want to. You can even reject God. But the problem's still going to be there because it's the problem of the world the way God made it. And I tried to tell her yesterday, I said, so even if your daughter were to reject, get mad at God and ask why, God, why did you allow this to happen to my beautiful daughter? She would still have this. You can reject God if you want, and yet you still got the same problem. Now, how, how much are you any better off now that you got rid of God and you still got a sick child? Are you any better off? Well, no, you're worse off. I said, that's the point you got to remember. And so it is about where you're going. We can argue about fate and choice and all that. But in the end, uh, if we turn to God, we get some answer. Without him, we have no answer. The Greeks, the Greeks and Romans had no answer to that question. Where are you going? That's the big question. They don't have an answer for it. When I was in high school, I had uh, studied Latin for six or eight, how many, eight, eight, uh, six years. And one project we had was taking all these tombstones, pictures of the tombstones that they have of Romans. I think I told you about this before. And we would have to translate these epitaphs on the tombstones. And they got lots of these. And, uh, boy, so many of those, uh, so many of those tombstones are so sad. Well, we just messed up again. I see that I have a, had a caller on hold, and I did not see that come in. 
they want to call back. If you were the one that called and hung up, please call back. I'm sorry about that. We'll get you right in. I'll try to notice it was my screen was covered there. Ken, do you have one, you want to say any more about this? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up by saying this. Good faith, what is good faith? It's faith in Jesus Christ. And people today are a little worried about what's going on. We see a lot more people coming to church and getting baptized, which is a good thing. And that's the good thing about what's going on. Not only here, but in Israel too. It'll bring them to, it'll bring them to faith. It forces people to think about big things, important things, and not just the little things. Now, the, the difficulty is, and it's a, it's a lifelong situation with me dealing with this all the time, is how many of those people are going to be able to hold on to that faith and keep it and grow in it, or how many are going to make, use it for a temporary salve or Band-Aid and go on about their life the way they want to? Because having true faith and living with true faith is a daily difficult problem. It doesn't resolve itself instantly. There's no instant answers to fix everything. It's, it makes you look at yourself, and so it's very difficult. It has two prongs to it, basically. It's it's solving the current problems that you have and how are you going to react to them. But there's also another part of that, and that's the growth in what does God want you to do in facing those problems. Often we leave that part of it out, and that's, that's very important. Uh, I think we've been walking around what Jesus says in John 3 in verse 5. It says, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Basically, I think he's saying God wants to see what you do. If you're born of the spirit, it will change your actions. You talked about George Clooney's character didn't change at all, or if he did, he only made momentary changes. But the other two seem to get get better. I think this is the point Jesus is making. That person born of the spirit, you're going to be able to see the changes. All the time. All the time. But it still requires something on them. It's not an automatic thing. That right. But it requires them. It requires them not only to make changes in what they do immediately, but it requires them to also learn what God has for them to learn what He wants them to do. And that keeps me coming back to John twelve forty eight. The word that I have spoken will judge them in the last day. Where do we find that, Mike? We find that in scriptural text, and that's what makes it so important that we we look to those things. I do want to apologize to that caller that called a moment ago. I, it's technically, I'm looking at a screen here that tells me that there might be a caller, and and I didn't see that pop up to me. I probably had it covered by something else, some other window or something temporarily, and I do apologize for that. We're, we're trying to not answer the call, and then I get to talking and forget about all this stuff. I do want to add one thing as a, as a clarification. And then I'm gonna let I don't know if Ken is still there if he is he can make another comment but I'm not endor I'm not endorsing the profanity in the story of Oh brother where art thou when I 
And there is some of that in there. I'm not endorsing that profanity and vulgarity. I think it has a reason to be in the story. It's not just gratuitous like many movies. It is trying to show you two different worlds, the good and the bad and the and how bad people are. So in any event, I'm not endorsing that. And I know I can be open to criticism for even saying I like the movie and I accept that. We can talk about that some other time. But I'm I'm trying to look beyond just that surface fact and see big issues in the movie. It's not just a stupid movie about nothing like Caddyshack or something. You know, it's got an actual point to it, uh, even though it doesn't appear that way to some people. So anyway, that's I'm not going to defend that. And I hope you'll understand the reason that I'm referring to a movie with profanity and vulgarity a little bit uh, in it. All right. Again, you you still that you want to say anything else or you? you yeah, uh, one more. One last thing. All right. You don't have to be a man of constant sorrow. You've got a choice. And it's Jesus. Yes, and I, I would say that's uh, part of the point of the movie. Uh, man. Now, Jesus was a man of sorrows, uh, but we don't have to be men of constant sorrow, do we? Because there's, oh. there is joy. Um, we don't have to live in fear either. No. No, no, that's right. We we can have, and when you do develop fundamental faith, even if you don't know how it's going to be, I told somebody the other day, I have faith that God is going to care for me and my wife until we die. The thing I do wonder about, I don't, as I put quote unquote unquote trust God about, is that He's going to take care of me and her in the manner to which we become accustomed. <laughs> he will take care of us. It might not be exactly like I would choose. The question is, do I have faith to stay with him and trust him, even in, even if it doesn't always turn out exactly like I had envisioned? And I hope that the answer to that is yes. I believe it is. We'll see. But I that's what faith is. So, you know, you don't have to be a man of constant sorrow. You will face sorrow, though. And that's the, that's the difference between being a Christian and not. People think that they can do some magic thing or that they think that science is going to figure out a way to answer these questions, these big questions people have, like my friend I was talking to me about the other day, science has no answer for those questions. Uh, it, it doesn't give you, it doesn't help you along the way. Science is good. Technology is good. But they don't have the answers that we've been struggling with as human beings since the time of the Greeks and Romans and before that time, just back to the book of Job. We, they don't have the answers to that. Only Christ has the answers to that. All right. Well, we've got about a minute and a half left. Thanks for calling today, Ken. I do appreciate it. And I apologize again to the caller who did call. We didn't see it and get him on the air. If you'll call back again next week, we'll bump you up to the front of the line. We read in Philippians 4.11 about Paul said, I'm, I'm, I've learned to be content. Also, Hebrews 13.5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Basically, again, there's, there's, there's that idea. There's that humility that we were willing to live with what God gives us. Well, thanks for listening today. We do appreciate it. Appreciate those who call, those who listen. We want to invite you to our services, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. Meet at, we meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study, all ages, 11 o'clock for worship and communion, and also 7.30 on Wednesday night. We invite you to all those services. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. 
wearejustchristians.com. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again next week, and uh, we'll see you then. May God bless you till then. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona.